Hello. Thank you for joining me today. I'm really delighted to have you here. Uh, this is a series of uh, about six, probably one-hour lectures based on Terry Eagleton's book, Literary Theory and Introduction. I've taught this book several times and I'm planning to teach it next semester. So I'm hoping to create a visual, a video guide for my students, but also for all of you out there. And maybe uh, you can watch these videos along with the book itself while reading the chapters. And I'm hoping this would be of some use to you. Now, Eagleton is a very interesting writer because he's one of the very few people I know who can make theory funny and uh, easy to read and enjoyable. And this particular book came out in the 80s is slightly dated in a sense that uh, it has not been revised to include what came after the publication of the book. But by and large, it does provide the most uh, wonderful description and discussion of literary theory. One aspect of it that I love the most is that the book doesn't just introduce several or different literary theories, it also incorporates chapter by chapter various critiques that are mobilized against different kinds of theories. So Eagleton starts the book by putting the concept of literature itself under discussion because his argument in the very beginning paragraph is, okay, if we are going to talk about literary theory, let us just first try to figure out what literature itself is. Because unless we know our object of study, unless we have a stable or a more comprehensive definition of the object of study, which is literature itself, we can't really posit or explain a comprehensible or a comprehensive theory of literary studies. And it's a very interesting chapter. He starts the chapter by one of the most common definitions that people either assume or which was mobilized in the earlier stages of formalization of literary studies as a viable discipline, and that is that literature needs to be imaginative and fictional. You know, so general understanding of people who believed in this maxim was that literature is imaginative writing and it tells untrue fictionalized stories in an imaginative form. And if we believe in that, then that becomes kind of a categorizing definition for us. Anything that's not imaginary or that's not fictional then somehow cannot qualify as literature. And that is what Eagleton puts under pressure by his discussion that if literature is only those things that are imagined or imaginary and that are fictional, then anything that's not fictional could not constitute to be literary. And he gives you various examples. So the, one of the examples he uses is, you know, various essayists. So if literature is only imaginative fiction, then how do we classify some of the history works that we read as literature? which are included in liter literature classes. How do we read essays of Montaigne, right, which are read as literature in so many classes? Or, you know, any other uh, creative nonfiction these days, which didn't exist at that time. Okay, there is some form of imagination involved there, but by and large, the writer of a memoir or a biography would tell you that 
you know, they're relying on facts. And if it's not totally imagined and totally fictional, then can it constitute, you know, literature? Can it be called literature? So by the time he's done discussing this stable definition of literature as imaginative fiction, we realize that the definition can be very fluid and that sometimes works that are not fictional can be considered literary. And hence the definition kind of becomes unstable and almost unsustainable. Then he moves on to what the, the way the formalists, in explaining the way the formalists, the Russian formalists, uh, described literature. Now, Russian formalists led by, of course, uh, people like Roman Jacobson and others, uh, what Eagleton believes is that their reading or their writing about literature was informed by linguistics and those are the principles that they bring to study of literature and in defining what constitutes literature. And the biggest point that we get from the formalists is that their argument was that literariness or literature is language made strange. Now what does that basically implies is implies is that implies is that literature uses specialized language it uses specialized devices it's an any literary piece is in the words of formalists an assemblage of devices and our job is to find out what devices are being used and it's use of unusual language that is called defamiliarizing language or it has an estranging effect on the reader and it's that effect that knowing that this is not common speech this is not what everyday people use that defines formalistically speaking in terms of form the literariness of literature and uh, Eagleton makes a lot of fun of that idea because he, what he says is that, okay, somehow if something has defamiliarizing language, if it is estranging, uh, we suddenly know, and I quote, that we are in the presence of literariness or we are in the presence of literature. But if that is the definition, if it is language made strange, right, then can you come up with anything in the popular culture that could qualify as that? I mean, think about Yoda, right? In the Star Wars, the things that he says, the way he reverses the subject-object order or the sentence structure, could that classify as literature? For To most people, probably not. But from a formalistic point of view, because it is language made strange, because it defamiliarizes us, from everyday speech, it could be read as literature. The f more than that, what Eagleton also argues is that uh, it also depends on how we decide to read something. Okay, so um, for example, uh, a road sign, you know, drive slow children, right? It could be language made strange. We could read it as, oh, there are slow children here, or you know, drive slow because children should drive slow. So this whole idea of language made strained constitutes literature becomes unstable. But there is another aspect of it that he talks about, and that is that the formalists mostly deal with poetry. 
Okay, so yes, in poetry, we encounter language that is not prose and we know it immediately and that comes across to us as literary. But what happens if we were applied the same principles to longer works, for example, the novel? If a novel doesn't employ language that's estranging, that's, you know, hard to get through, if it doesn't use those kind of assemblages, would it still be literature? Would it still be a good novel? So these are some of the questions that he poses to the formalists. Another way the formalists uh, valorized literariness or literature was that his idea was that literature announces itself to be literature because it uses non-pragmatic discourse, that it has discourse that doesn't achieve an end in the world, right? It just is. So literature is literature because it's not trying to mobilize a politics. It's not trying to explain the world. It just offers itself as itself worthy of our attention. But then even if you read poetry, you know, if you read Byron or others, we know these are great poets, so we think they are great poets, but there is political poetry that can be very moving, which has a pragmatic aspect to it. Now, does that mean that that is not literature? Similarly, reading Montaigne's essays or even any other essays, their essays which do have a pragmatic purpose that offers themselves as solutions or as questions about existing problems. Now, will that then not be literature? So this idea that literature exists for itself, it is non-pragmatic, it doesn't offer anything outside of itself, it's self-referential, it talks about its own self, also kind of becomes untenable. And then from there, you know, another aspect of literary definitions that a lot of people think about, and that is literature is fine writing, okay, Uh, which presupposes that any fine writing could be considered literary and could, could be considered literature. But then is there an essential fine writing? Is there a fine writing that can exist by itself? And if it is, how do we know it? You know, when we approach fine writing, does it announce itself as I'm fine writing? And and Eagleton's point of view is that, first of all, fine writing is not unchanging, not immutable, and it can change over time. Our perception of what constitutes fine writing depends on where we are at a historical moment. Maybe today we consider Shakespeare one of the great playwrights of, you know, British literature. But maybe a hundred years from now, our aesthetics would have shifted and maybe that would no longer be fine writing to us. Maybe at this point we consider science fiction not literary enough, not fine writing, but in a futuristic world, maybe that would become fine writing to us. So the concept of fine writing or defining fine writing as literature or literariness itself also falls apart because it's deeply subjective and also it's culturally constituted. I mean, in any given culture, fine writing can be defined differently. You know, for example, in American literature for American realists, fine writing was when when an author represented the things as they were, right? But if you move to modernism, you realize increasingly fine writing becomes more 
less representational and then in postmodernism it gets you know more uh, fractured so in any way depending on where we are who we are which culture we come from the idea of fine writing itself does not remain stable and hence defining literature as fine writing also becomes unsustainable and then uh, towards the end of the chapter eagleton then now you see he's already moving from literature being something by itself to how we interact with it right so the value that we assign to literature is it essential is it contained within the literature or is it we the readers who assign it some value now if we can entertain that idea that we the readers assign some value to to literature right then that means that value is socially constructed i am part of the social i bring my preferences and prejudices to a written piece of work and i with those values assign it its literariness or non-literariness right so value judgments in one way or the other define what is literature what is lit- literary now some one could argue that then how is it that works from 200 years ago uh still are considered literary and i mean one easy answer to that is is the uh, is the process of canonization after all how is a canon stabilized the critics write about it we read their work and then they shape in the process our perceptions of the work so half of the times when we are bringing our values to a literary text our values have already been constituted if i was trained to value a certain kind of language a certain kind of plot a certain kind of vocabulary then that is what i am looking in a text and if i find that that is valuable that is literary and so that's why what we consider the great works of literature the way reason they sustain themselves as great works of literature is either they are part of the canon and someone shaped our perception of them even teaching someone here are 120 great works of western or eastern civilization already predisposes us to value them as literature so value is socially constructed and towards the end of the chapter he gives us this example Uh, of practical literary criticism performed an experiment performed by IA Richards right uh, who also invented the term practical literary criticism and he, what he does is he gives his students different poems without the names of the poems that poets attached to it and he asks them to evaluate it and what he finds out in the process is that the students had rated some of the established poets below and some of the new poets are not established poets above and from that i.e richards concludes that you know in, in aspects of literary criticism the rules of literariness that we bring to a literature would bring to bring to our act of reading you know a system of values but what Eagleton reads in that is not necessarily whether or not these students read those texts correctly but the idea that how consistent they were in assigning value to different works and the reason they they had a consistent way of evaluating different works even though they didn't know the names of the original poets was because they were being taught to read literary texts a certain way their value system their process of evaluating literature had been ideologically 
and socially constructed. And if that is the case, then we can argue that so much of what we do in our literary classes, so much of what we consider to be literary, right, is is socially constructed. So let me explain or like just sum up what does Eagleton cover in this chapter. So he first of all starts with the very basic definition of literature, which is that literature is something that is imaginative and it's fiction. And then he goes through discussing as to why that definition cannot be sustainable throughout history, but also through different genres and all. And then he gives us about three or four pages of discussion of the formalists their emphasis on language, their claims that literature is language made strange, that it has an estranging effect on the reader. But then he also uh, unpacks that argument by suggesting that given a different set of circumstances, anything can be estranging, anything can defamiliarize us, any text on the street, a road sign, depending on what our own state of mind is, what we ourselves bring to the text. Literature being non-pragmatic, also sometimes there can be texts that are deeply political but can be poetic. I mean, have you read Capital Volume 1? I think it's beautiful writing. Similarly, the Communist Manifesto, so many other things that may have a pragmatic purpose. I mean, if you read the Quran, if you read uh, the Bible, I mean, they have a pragmatic purpose. They are trying to teach us morality and these are beautiful texts in original languages as well as in translation. So that definition is also uh, not stable enough. And then literature as fine writing also doesn't remain stable and it can be destabilized by bringing, by questioning the very idea of fine writing. And then towards the end of the chapter, the question of value itself, that value or the way we value things is socially produced, is ideologically produced. So what we can conclude at the end of this chapter then is that there is no stable definition of literature and that whatever we believe to be literary and literature itself is because of our lived experience, because of what we have been taught, because of what social norms and mores we believe in. And hence, what is considered literature, there is no essence to literature what is considered literature is for me as a person, what is socially constructed, what is ideologically constituted. And understanding that is important because when we then move on to various literary theories and how to read literary texts, this knowledge, not assuming literature as a stable object of study, but as a destabilized object of study built through different value systems that are socially produced, ideologically produced, maybe will help us interact with literature and read literature more carefully and you know, with a better kind of understanding of not just our own reading practices, but also how literature and literariness is defined, canonized and understood. So this was like my brief, uh, uh, lecture about the first chapter of Terry Eagleton's book, which is entitled, What is Literature? And uh, if when we move, you know, beyond this, I would like to come back and hope to explain 
various theories in different chapters that he explains for us, for readers, for you and me. And I would be really grateful if you could send me your questions. You can post your questions in the comments below. Uh, please join this uh, cross-cultural talk channel because I keep posting new videos every now and then. And then we also do webinars. So follow us on here by subscribing to the channel and also visit my website, which is in the links below, postcolonial.net, so that you can get our newsletter. I will be posting part two of this lecture. Hopefully, my hope is within a week or so. But before that, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me. Thank you so much for joining me. and. Until the next time, bye.